When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people. It is he who helped build our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with him, but when... He was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found a man of such faith. When those who had been sent Returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Thank you, sir. So we've been taking a look at this theme, It's Bigger Than You, and wondering uh, together about how God is at work. And sometimes we kind of want to think that God is sort of in our own little box and that maybe uh, it's all about us. And one of the realities of the gospel is one of the things that Jesus came really to teach is that really the kingdom of heaven is a lot bigger than you. In fact, it is about your relationship not only with God and Jesus Christ, but it's also about your relationship with other people. And we've been taking a look at some of these stories in Luke's gospel and listening for that theme and wondering about our own lives and how it is that we might be called to this reality that it's bigger than us. So today we're going to take a look at that theme again, and we are using this story as a way by which to understand how God is working through us and how God sort of has us thinking outside of our own box. So to that end, let us pray. Lord, thank you that you give us this opportunity to be together at your word. We are grateful for these incredible stories, not just stories in the Bible, but stories we get to hear from our own people for how you are at work, and we pray, O Lord, that you will allow us to discover more and more of what it might mean for us to be a part of your great human family so that we can see beyond ourselves to your love for all your people, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In uh, Dodie Smith's great children's novel, The 101 Dalmatians, which was followed by the Disney movie decades later, the mean Corella, how many of you have seen the 101 Dalmatians? Okay, good. The rest of you need to go home and watch it. <laughs> the mean Cruella de Vil manages to steal a litter of 15 Dalmatian puppies from a household, and in particular from their canine father and mother, Pongo and Mrs., because she wants to make out of them a Dalmatian coat for herself. She has swept them away out of London to her dark mansion about 100 miles away in Suffolk, and the human beings now are at a loss as to what to do with no idea how to get a hold of these 15 Dalmatian puppies to get them back. In the story, that's when Pongo and Mrs. go to work, and they go to work to start up something called the Twilight 
Bark. The story, the story that, of the twilight bark is this communication chain that goes from dog to dog that human, human beings find rather annoying. Their dogs apparently seem to be barking at nothing at twilight, but what they don't know, these human beings, is that in the twilight bark, an important message is being delivered from one neighborhood to the next, from one town to the next, from one breed of canine to the next, from Dalmatian to German Shepherd to Poodle to Schnauzer to Terrier to Great Dane. Doesn't matter the breed, what matters is there are some dogs in trouble and help is needed to find them. One dog barks to another dog, barks to another dog, all on behalf of their fellow dogs who are in trouble. The twilight bark. The twilight bark is what came to mind when 20 years ago I was leading a tour of folks to Israel and we were in Jerusalem. This was the day when we were to tour the old city of Jerusalem and we were to make our way down the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross. There were 50 of us together in this group and shortly after we got started, one of our 50, I'll call her name Sally, took one of those quick and took on one of those quick and virulent stomach viruses. She was sicker than a dog and couldn't go on and needed to go back to the hotel. But there were 50 of us being led by just one guide, and the bus had already left for the day. So how is this going to work? Well, this was before cell phones. Yes, there was a time before cell phones. So it wasn't as easy as making an Uber call. So what to do? Well, our guide had been guiding for a long time. She knew the city like the back of her hand, and she had friends, mostly shopkeepers, who were spread across the quarters of Jerusalem. Most of you know that the old city of Jerusalem is divided into four quarters, the Jewish quarter, the Muslim quarter, the Armenian quarter, and the Christian quarter. She had friends in all the quarters, and she told our group to stay put for about 15 minutes, and she would take care of Sally. And what she did was she took Sally to the closest shopkeeper she knew, who happened to be in the Jewish quarter, and she said to him that she needed him to help her get Sally to her hotel, which was outside of Jerusalem. And could he pass Sally over to her friend in the Muslim quarter and tell him to pass her along to her friend in the Christian quarter, and then to ask her to get her onto, into a taxi so she could get to her hotel? Now, I'm not sure what Sally thought about all this, but when you have a stomach virus, you will take any help you can get. So, into the care of very different strangers, Sally was placed with every little bit of hope and trust she had, and sure enough, from very different neighbors, from one very different neighbor to the next, from the Jewish quarter to the Muslim quarter to the Christian quarter, Sally got delivered back to the comfort of her hotel, and in particular, the comfort of her hotel commode. Now, that's not quite the twilight bark, but it is the human chain. Our human American sister is ill, and despite whatever quarter we're in, despite our culture, despite our ethnicities, we will see that she gets to where she needs to be. Now, all this comes to mind when I think of the story that we just read from, the, from Luke's gospel, the story about a Galilean town that Bob pronounced very well, Capernaum. Capernaum, not a very big town up close to the Sea of Galilee, but not unlike a lot of Palestinian towns back in that day, it was a town that had a lot of divides. 
Since Palestine was an occupied territory of the Roman Empire, there existed within this little town of Capernaum some inherent tensions, first between Romans and Palestinians, second between, I guess it's going too long, <laughs> second between occupiers and the occupied, a tension between Jews and Gentiles and between the free and the slave, Gentile slaves and Jewish slaves. All sorts of reasons in Capernaum not to get along. But strangely, there seemed to be some getting along. Some getting along. It turns out that a certain fondness had sprang up between the folks at the local synagogue and the Roman centurion. Now hear that, the local synagogue and the Roman centurion, Jew, Gentile, occupied, occupier, civilian, military, somehow, some way, a fondness broke out. It was the centurion who had helped his Jewish neighbors to build their synagogue. Some of us have been to Capernaum, and we have seen this foundation of the synagogue. We actually stood on top of the foundation of the synagogue that the centurion had helped to build. Maybe he helped dig the footings. Maybe he procured some building materials. Maybe he was the foreman of the project. Maybe he was the one who got the permits from the county. But the good folks from the synagogue were grateful for this Gentile occupier friend, and so it was this gratitude that quickened their hearts when they got the word that the centurion's slave, for which he also held a certain fondness, was ill unto death. What can we do, they wondered. Is it possible, the centurion asked, if the rabbi Jesus can do something? There had been reports of Jesus' healing touch. So on behalf of the Gentile occupier, friend, and slave, the Jewish elders intercede with Jesus and ask if, they could, if he could do something for their friend. So Jesus, across all the divides, all the quarters, Jesus makes his way to his new friend. And that's when he comes across a crowd of Gentile community, friends of the centurion, bringing message from this Roman, this man of rank, that he was not worthy even to have the rabbi come underneath his roof, but he believed nonetheless. He believed, so just, just give the command, Jesus. Just give the command. I know about commands. Just give the command, and you can make my slave well. Now, to this request comes from Jesus a very curious response. Not having laid eyes on the centurion, not having seen the slave face to face, Jesus turns to the crowd and says simply, I tell you, not even in Israel have I seen such faith. Now, to be sure, Jesus is speaking of the centurion whose desperate faith is willing to believe that this upstart rabbi could possibly do something. Not even in Israel, Jesus says, have I seen such faith? But don't you wonder if Jesus is also speaking about something more than this? Because in between Jesus and the centurion's slave, there is a chain, right? There's this chain that has gone back and forth, this human chain, this twilight bark that has somehow transcended all the breeds, all the divides, all the quarters, all the cultures, all the stations of life. Oh, they have most certainly believed all of them in Jesus, but they have also most certainly believed in each other. Not even in Israel have I seen such faith. 
Maybe that's the story that Peter has in mind when a couple of years later, after Jesus' resurrection, he gets word that a centurion way up in Caesarea wants to see him, a Gentile, a Roman, an occupier, a military man, and Peter is prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and see him. And when he gets there, Peter reminds the centurion, you know, I shouldn't be here. You know, we don't associate with your type. Gentile, Roman, occupier, military, you don't, you don't know, but it doesn't really get any worse than this. We got a grand canyon between us. But somehow, Peter says, it is the Holy Spirit who wants for us to be links in this chain, to, to experience a, a transcendent fondness. For God shows, Peter says to that centurion, God shows no partiality. There is a transcendent fondness that is supposed to be at work here, that while there are different races and different cultures and different ethnicities and different stations of life, Peter says, it is our common creator who is here to make us into a common humanity. It makes me think of the account in Sebastian Younger's book, A Perfect Storm where he describes the devastation of the century's worst storm that came up the eastern seaboard back in October of 1991. And in it, he tells of a helicopter rescue crew attempting to save out of the Atlantic a small sailboat and its crew, and they are forced in their effort to save this crew, they are forced to ditch their own craft right off the coast of New Jersey. And when word gets out that there is a rescue crew that has ditched a helicopter in the effort to find this little sailboat crew, Junger describes what happens. He says, quote, within minutes of ditching, rescue assets from Florida to Massachusetts are being readied for deployment. The response is massive and nearly instantaneous. At 9.48, 13 minutes into it, Air Station Cape Cod launches a Falcon jet and an H-3 helicopter. Half an hour later, a Navy P-3 jet at Brunswick Naval Air Station is requested and ready. A Coast Guard cutter. The Tamara has diverted before the helicopter has even gone down. At 10.23, Boston request a second Coast Guard cutter, the Spencer. They even considered diverting an aircraft carrier. All this for what? For a small crew of fellow human beings. No color check, no nationality check, no political party check, just a small crew of fellow human beings the human chain, the twilight bark. Colson Whitehead's recent and most compelling novel, The Underground Railroad, tells the tale of Cora and Caesar, African-American slaves in the days before the Civil War, and how in their desperate run from bondage, they meet up with people of a different color who serve as stops on the Underground Railroad. And we know enough about our history to know how these human beings at stations along the Underground Railroad, houses and barns and churches, put themselves in the gravest danger when it came to their fellow human beings. One link in the chain connecting to another, linked in a common humanity, born out of a common creator, not even in Israel have I seen such faith. 
It should be no surprise then to hear of the research completed recently by Dr. Eilat Fishback of the University of Chicago who reports that when people in conflict sit down at a common meal and more importantly share a common food, they are more likely and more quickly to find agreement than when they don't. That when they see each other share the same food, the same sustenance, they see also their common humanity. And maybe that's what Jesus had in mind when he gathered his disciples at table to eat with them the common meal. Nothing like breaking bread, nothing like breaking bread to get beyond all the petty differences, all the petty denials, all the petty betrayals. Their common Passover Seder is now handed to us in the first 21st century as the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, a common hunger, a common thirst. At this table, there is no culture, there is no class, there is no color, there is no nationality, there is no citizen, there is no non-citizen, there is no orientation, no partiality. Instead, a transcendent fondness Neither male nor female, Paul says, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. For we are one in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is one for the world. And maybe through that claim, that twilight bark, that transcendent fondness, comes healing from the good physician. Amen.